Well, my theme again this morning is Reformation, as we continue to reflect on the five great solas of the Protestant Reformation. And as I said last week, as we go through these solas, I want you to ask yourselves, is there a need for a new protesting Reformation today in our beloved church? You know, the Protestant Reformation was that time in the 16th century when the, when the true gospel of Jesus Christ was rediscovered after being buried for over a thousand years by a corrupt medieval church. It was at this time that the reformers, Luther, Calvin, Beza, Zwingli, Melanchthon, many others, they summarized this true gospel in five great battle cries. They were all characterized by the Latin word sola, meaning alone or only. Now these doctrines expressed that which these men thought to be essential to the Christian faith. They wanted to, to break the stranglehold that a corrupt church had on God's people and set them free again in Christ Jesus, as Paul had said many years before to the Christians in Galatia. Now, these five solas were sola scriptura, scripture alone, solus Christus, Christ alone, sola gratia, grace alone, sola fide, faith alone, and soli deo gloria, to God alone be glory. Last Sunday, if you were here, we, we looked at the first of these slogans, sola scriptura, scripture alone. The reformers affirmed with this slogan, that the Bible was the absolute authority in all matters of thought, theology, and conduct. Scripture alone rules in the church and in the conduct of God's people. They believed very strongly that God does speak to us through his created order, for example. They had read the book of Romans. They understood what Paul said in chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. The Reformers understood that. But they also understood that this natural or, or general revelation of God in the created order was insufficient to give us enough information of what God had done in Christ for us to be saved by it. They understood that you cannot grasp, just by looking at the world, that God is a personal God and that he sent his son to die for your sins. You can only learn that piece of vital information through special revelation. And that special revelation is sola scriptura, scripture alone. You can't learn it from philosophy, as the medieval church was trying to do. You can't learn it from psychology, as today's church often tries to do. You can only learn how God saves sinners from scripture alone. So that was last Sunday. Today I want to explore two more of these Reformation slogans. Solus Christus, Christ alone, and sola gratia, grace alone. Now what did these two battle cries, these two slogans, mean to the Reformers? And how are they seen by the evangelical church today? 
Solus Christus. The Reformers said that Scripture is our only authority and that Jesus Christ is our only mediator. And they looked at Solus Christus basically in two ways. The exclusiveness of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ. You know, I think, I may be wrong, but I think that many people today have bought into what I call religious pluralism. They believe that there are many ways to God. That Christ is only one way. There's lots of other ways to be saved and get to heaven. Now, how many times have you heard people say that we're all climbing this same mountain of life? We're all going to get to the top. You by your route, me by my path, some by another. But all roads eventually lead to the top. You've heard that. It's a, it's a common attitude in the world today. You know, people observe that we're a diverse culture, that we come from many backgrounds, that we're pluralistic. And because we are, different religious approaches are needed to appreciate this pluralism. That's the argument. You know, I think sometimes we, we often think that this is a unique, unique day in which we live. But I think we need to appreciate that there were medieval pluralisms too. At the time of the Reformation, there were people with different religious convictions. They lived side by side with each other, just like, just like we do today. Yet the Reformers were adamant on the issue that there was only one way to God. There was only one gospel that Christ was exclusive. But is that true today? Well, let's take a look. Professor James D. Hunter of the University of Virginia says that 35% of evangelical seminarians today deny that faith in Christ is necessary to be saved. George Barna, we mentioned him last week, says that this is about the same percentage for the adult conservative population in America. He says that 85% of all adult Americans believe they will stand before God to be judged, but only 11% fear that hell is in their future. In fact, you know, if you read last Sunday's Arizona Daily Star, there was an article, a religious article, which stated that only a very few Americans actually believed in a literal hell. Well, what does that tell us? Well, it tells us a lot of things. But one thing for sure is that there are a whole lot of people today who believe they're good people. And good people don't need a savior. You know, one of Barna's questions that he asked, Christians, Jews, Muslims, and Buddhists all pray to the same God, even though they use different names for that God. Do you agree or disagree? He said that two-thirds of evangelicals didn't find that objectionable. I find that amazing. You know, that's, that, that's almost unbelievable. But you know, all of this is founded on the false idea that we don't need Christ because at bottom we are basically good people. Many, many people have developed this strange notion that God grades, grades on a curve. That we may do some bad things here and there, but we also do some good things. And in the end, God is going to simply add up the tally sheet. And if we've done more good things than bad, then we're home free. You know, there was a, a noted theologian 
from a West Coast seminary recently that said this. He said, the Bible does not teach that one must confess the name of Christ to be saved. The issue that God is concerned about is the direction of your heart, not the content of your theology. Really. For those of us who have some idea of the direction of our heart, this is not as comforting as that theologian thinks. You know, I'm reminded here of what Christ said to a group of Pharisees who asked him what they had to do to be saved. Now, we know the Pharisees. They were pretty good people. They were moral. They prayed. They evangelized. They went to church regularly. They tithed. How many Christians do that today? And Christ told these good people in Matthew 5, verse 48, Okay, if you want to do this on your own, based on your own good words, works, based on your own good character, then be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now let me ask you a simple question. When was the last time you encountered a perfect person? And be careful what you say, men, because I'll ask your wife. <laughs> you see, the Reformers would have none of this. They rightly held that Christ was exclusive that there's no other way to God the Father except through the mediator, Jesus Christ. We simply cannot make it on our own. God requires perfection. We are not perfect. We are imperfect. We're sinners. We need a Savior. And Christ is that Savior. He is exclusive. But solus. Christus was also seen by the Reformers not only in terms of Christ's exclusiveness, they also had clearly in mind that Christ's death, his sacrifice was sufficient. There was no other mediator required to stand between man and God. And that simply was not true in the medieval church. See, Luther was strongly opposed to a priest or the institutional church standing between the people and God. He strongly held to that principle, the priesthood of all believers. 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5 tells us that all believers are living stones. They are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Dear ones, you don't need a priest or a pastor to stand between you and God. God, Christ is our sole mediator. It is he who stands between us and God, and he is sufficient. I need to be careful, but I, I would say that even the Bible is not central here. The Bible points to Christ. Now, Christ told the Pharisees in Matthew 5.39, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is these that bear witness of me. We are not Bible-centered. We are Christ-centered. I want to be quick to add, though, the only way we can have reliable knowledge about the true saving work of Christ is through the inerrant Word of God. You know, the Reformers said that accurate and true information about Christ, that's, that's the first element of true saving faith. And that can only come, dear ones, from the Bible. 
Well, we could talk about Solus Christus all morning, but we need to go on. So let's now turn to the next great slogan of the Reformation, Sola Gratia, Grace Alone. You know, back in the third century, there was a monk by the name of Pelagius. Pelagius denied the doctrine of original sin. Now, Pelagius believed that each human being sins in his own person, entirely apart from from any hereditary relationship with Adam. That Adam's sin affected no one but himself. Now, apparently, this monk had never read Romans 5, verses 12 through 21, where Paul says clearly that all people do, in fact, have this hereditary relationship with Adam, that he was our federal representative, And we are all condemned because of his sin. We spent five Sundays in August unpacking that important passage. Pelagius also believed that when man fell, he only fell part way. That he's still able to live free from sin if he chooses to do that. And I I, I think you can see that that position greatly limits the true scope of sin. And I think you can also predict what happened. It inexorably led to a denial of the absolute need for the unmerited grace of God in salvation. You know, as I said earlier, good people, even partially good people, they don't need a Savior. And they don't need God's grace to be saved. They can do it themselves. Now, Augustine, he was the Bishop of Hippo in North Africa. He stood up and he challenged this position of Pelagius. Like Paul before him, Augustine stressed that man is enslaved to sin, which he inherited from Adam. That if man is to be saved, then God has to do it. He has to intervene in man's life with his grace. Now, not to go back and revisit Romans 5, verses 12 through 21, Let me just say, Augustine won the day. The church supported him. But it's very interesting. The church increasingly drifted back toward Pelagianism during the Middle Ages. And the battle erupted again afresh during the Reformation. Well, what about today? Is Pelagianism something that Christians should today be protesting? You know, Pelagian is interesting. Pelagianism dies a hard death. Sort of like a cat with nine lives. It, it, it keeps coming back. It won't go away. And I would contend that it's alive and well in the church today. And I think one place, there are others, but one place that we see it is in all this, what I call self-help religion. That's around today. You've seen the books. Many of them are bestsellers. Seven steps to a victorious Christian life. Three steps to overcoming sin. That is, in fact, is modern-day Pelagianism. And again, the foundation of Pelagianism is the age-old belief in the inherent goodness of man. Remember, Pelagius said that grace is simply God's helping hand. But he won't do anything unless we first do something ourselves. We have to take the initiative. He he believes that just as the cause of sin 
is bad decisions. The cause of salvation is our own good decisions. Moral reformation is the goal. So what we have to do is to create rules and structures which will concentrate on the development of our moral potential. We're told that this moral potential is within all of us. All we have to do is just help ourselves. All we have to do is follow seven easy steps and it will be released. You know, by all statistical indications, the majority of professing Christians in America today are practicing Pelagians. Most believe that we're not all that bad, that they can choose Christ on their own, that God's grace is important, but it's not absolutely necessary, that the grace sort of gives us a boost, sort of like an energy drink. It makes salvation easier, but we can get there on our own. You know, let me just say that this idea of man's inherent goodness also reared its ugly head in 19th century revivalism. Many of you have heard of Charles Finney. Finney was an evangelist in the middle part of the 1800s, and in many circles he is hailed today as one of the greatest evangelists of all times. But I want you to listen carefully to what Finney wrote. He wrote, original sin is an unscriptural and nonsensical dogma. Finney said that telling a sinner that he depends upon the mercy of God is the most abominable and ruinous of all lies. And to say that is to mock the sinner's intelligence. See, apparently, Finney hadn't read Romans 5 either. And this man is a hero to many professing Christians today. You know, one of the most popular slogans in the Middle Ages was, God will not deny his grace to those who do what is within their power. In Finney's day, and today, the slogan is, God helps those who help themselves. Would you believe that over 50% of professing Christians today believe that that's a quote from the Bible? Of course it's not. Does anyone know where that quote came from originally? It originally came from Benjamin Franklin, who I believe was a deist. Regardless of where it came from, George Barna says that many people believe it's true. And listen to this. The percentage goes up the more one goes to church. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? The more you go to church today, the more likely you are, you are to believe that God helps those who helps themselves. What in the world are pastors preaching today? What kind of gospel is being preached and taught which leads people to this kind of false conclusion? Well, it certainly isn't the gospel of Paul or Augustine or the Reformers. They were totally committed to the biblical proposition that man is dead in sin, that he's total, totally incapable of pulling himself up by his own bootstraps. He's totally incapable of saving himself. That in and of himself, his case is hopeless. And unless God intervenes with his saving grace, not a single person would be saved. Sola gratia. We are saved by God's grace alone. 
But let me close with this. If Christ is our only mediator, our only hope before a holy and just God, and if grace is the only method by which God saves, then we need to stop trying to save ourselves. We can't do it. We aren't good enough. We never will be. We need to get out of the Savior business and put our trust in Jesus Christ alone. This is the true gospel. There is no other. All others are false. Maybe some of you have been there. I've never been there, but <coughs> my pastor at Rincon Mountain, Phil Cruz, has. And he tells me that in the old city of Geneva, Switzerland, there's a beautiful park adjacent to the University of Geneva. It's close to the church where John Calvin preached and taught daily. Now, Phil was there this summer. He was on a sabbatical. He said that this park, he con it contains a memorial to the 16th century Protestant Reformation. And the central feature of this memorial is a magnificent wall. And it's adorned with statues of some of the reformers, John Calvin, John Knox, Ulrich Zwingli, Theodore Beza, perhaps some others, I don't know. And Phil said that chiseled into the stone were these were the Latin words post tenebras lux. All you Latin files know that that means after darkness light. And I think that those words capture the driving force of the Protestant Reformation. And the darkness referred to on that wall in Geneva is the eclipse of the gospel that occurred in the late Middle Ages. But from the lips of Martin Luther and John Calvin and others went forth the battle cry, Scripture alone, Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone, to God alone be glory. And light and life came back to God's church. Yet I'm afraid that once again, the words of Christ are being corrupted. In many churches today, the gospel of grace is no longer recognizable. Darkness is again descending on God's church. And all who profess to be his people need to look closely at what they believe. Do you believe solus Christus, that Christ alone is exclusive and that his work on the cross is sufficient to save you? Do you believe that? Or do you believe in religious pluralism, that there are other ways to God and that you can save yourself? You see, there are two gospels out there today, two worldviews. They're competing with each other. One brings darkness and slavery. The other brings light and freedom. And again, I'm reminded of what Paul said so many years ago to the Galatian Christians. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So, dear ones, it does matter what you believe. And I think it matters eternally. It's so very important in these days for every professing Christian to sit down and to ask himself or herself, what do I believe? What is the gospel? Is what I believe and what I teach 
and what I preach and what I practice really the biblical gospel of Jesus Christ? Or is it another gospel? Because, beloved, if it's another gospel, if you're persuaded by the gospel of a Pelagius or the gospel of a Charles Finney, then you are still in Adam and not in Christ. You're still in your sins and you remain under the condemnation of God. Scripture alone. Christ alone. God's grace alone. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you that the true gospel reveals to us that your beloved son, Jesus Christ, became a curse for us. That you put your curse upon him when justice required you to put it upon us. And now that we have escaped that curse, O oh God, we pray so earnestly that you would preserve us from receiving it afresh if we in fact reject the one who has merited salvation for us. Oh God, we love your church, but we know your church cannot save us. We love your sacraments, but we know that the sacraments cannot save us. We love your law. We seek to obey it, but we know that obedience cannot save us. And so we look to you, O Christ, in faith, because we know that you and you alone are able to save us. Preserve us from error and give us the courage to resist it when your gospel is at stake. In Jesus' name, amen.